0: Welcome back to Blazing Trails. I'm your host, Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios. Only 25% of the tech industry salespeople are women, and only 12% of these are sales leaders. Just let that sink in. It's pretty astonishing. On our show today, we're bringing you a great conversation from a group of trailblazing women who talk about that gap and what needs to be done to close it. You'll hear from Denise Dresser. She's the EVP and CRO, comms, media, and tech here at Salesforce. Kim Smith, VP, US West Region, tech sales at IBM. Hillary Headley, head of global sales and operations and enablement at Zoom, and LaShonda Anderson-Williams, EVP and CRO for healthcare and life sciences at Salesforce. They also discuss how they've perfected the art of closing the deal, and what other women in sales can do to develop their own careers. This was recorded at Salesforce's annual Gender Equality Summit that seeks to elevate and inspire the next generation of women leaders and male allies. Let's take a listen.
1: All right, we are we are ready. We're here. We are here. Yes. We're here. We're going to have some good conversation yes. here. Is everybody excited? Yes. All right. All right. All right. I love my panel. Let's get going. Okay. So we're going to start out easy, but all of you have to Answer this one, okay. Okay. okay? Easy one. First of all, if you could just share how you got into sales or what your path was, just how did you end up where you are? You don't have to give your whole career, but just what sparked your interest? I'm looking at you, Lashonda, so Let's, I'm just gonna pick
2: you. I'm feeling the energy. Yeah. So one, <laughs> thank you all for participating. Um, I think some of you have heard the story. I didn't know I wanted to get into sales because I didn't know what S sales. I thought sales was the used car salesman. <laughs> Yeah, That was my experience. I wanted to be a nurse. And I wanted to be a nurse for two specific reasons. One, I always thought I had um, positive energy drawn to me in helping people. I got a lot of gratitude around seeing people accomplish their goals and playing a role. I didn't have to finish it, but I wanted to be a part of the journey. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is I saw that they were offering $5,000 sign-on bonuses for nurses (laughs) back in the day. (laughs) So when I put it two and two together, I realized I could help people and get paid. That's a combination. and I've gotten wiser. It's not about just the money, but the idea of helping people accomplish something and having just like a piece of the connective tissue that creates something bigger than me is really, really impactful. Mm -hmm. So great. Yeah, I can go
3: next. Sure. So I started as an intern at a radio station in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because they needed someone to work and keep their data clean in their CRM. It wasn't Salesforce, it was (laughs) ACT database. But what I realized was the sales floor was very fun and it was just great to be a part of that energy and closing deals. And I, I didn't carry a quote at the time and I don't today, but there was a great responsibility that I found in being able to help and be in that environment and really respected what was being done so that I could have the internship and do what I needed to do. And that kind of kicked off the love of always being in sales and around sales and everything to do to support it. Great, thank you. All right, Kim.
4: Yeah, I think um, Hillary and I are similar in this. I did an internship the newspaper and it was advertising sales, where I actually went door to door and everyone that knows me knows that I don't mean I don't meet strangers. I love 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 people. So, I don't know that it was my necessarily intention to actually fall into sales. I thought I was going to actually be like marketing, creative design, etc., but I really found a love of actually helping people. You know, and at this point obviously you're do, you're selling ads, you're trying to help them sell and I continued. I 28 years later, I'm I'm still here and very happy um, to help businesses, customers, solve business problems. So I think there it's, you
1: go. It's so interesting how there's sort of this reputation of sales, of what it is. And it's so far from that. When you hear each of those stories, I actually started out, I was an accountant. Um, I never thought I would be in sales. But similar to what you said, LaShonda, I just really loved being part of teams and helping them achieve mm-hmm. things that they never thought were possible. And just being like that one small sort of push to mm-hmm. that and then combining it with business acumen that would actually help people not just sell them something they didn't need because that feels terrible, we've all been there, but selling something that actually will help them solve problems. And that's what I think is, I think sometimes misunderstood about sales and prevents people from getting into it, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Okay. Kim, I'm going to start with you. Okay. All right. About representation. And so uh, not that there's a competition, but women are high performers in sales. Okay. So, again, not a competition. We want everyone to be Woo-hoo! successful, but there it <laughs> but is. We are. Okay. And if you're thinking, yeah,
0: you can I have call. a whole yeah. bunch of reasons we should talk
1: about. Well, we should talk about why, too. I have a whole bunch of theories, so but that's not the question I have right now. Well, maybe it could be. What do you think? So, we're thinking about the bottom line, right? Women are top performers, yet they're not represented in the field as much as, as their male counterparts. Why do you think that is?
4: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think a couple things. Um, one is lack of flex- uh, flexibility um, with the uh, integration of work-life balance. You yeah, know, yeah. having that option to have adjustable schedules so that we can run our own lives and be a mom and be a wife, but also run a business. We need that. I think that's one thing that's um, that's key. Um, I think we also need to um, look back under the covers, and when you look at the studies, it's showing that. A lot of companies have, you know, embraced women today. We're popular guys. They've embraced us. But when you pull it back, you <laughs> it really know, cuts. right? When you pull the covers back, one in four organizations really uh, work on advancing women as a priority from a career perspective. That's hurtful for us. And then I still believe that there is the prevailing um, kind of energy around us, right, with stereotyping saying that women aren't capable of being leaders. We're mm-hmm. viewed as being you know, very nice and strong and we're nurturers versus leaders are viewed as, you know, they're very direct, they're strong, they're aggressive. Can we be both? And I think those are three things that are still stopping us from being great right now.
1: Yeah, it's so it's I think it's something that we have to continue to strive for and also reframe what the job itself is mm-hmm. and the flexibility the that flex- we actually cute. do have, yes. Yes. the flexibility that we do have in this role, which I think we'll come to in a minute. Um, Hillary, I'm going to turn to you. Okay. So there's probably women online or even in the audience that are either getting started or just early in their journey in sales, yes. or maybe they've made the switch like you did. What do you, what's the one piece of advice that you either received or that you would give somebody who's just starting out in this field?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I can have some rough edges and I know that. And the one piece of advice would be to know your brand and tell your story. And brand, I know, gets a lot of airtime right now, but for me, when I was focusing on it 10 years ago, it was about what's your reputation? So what is being said about you when you're not in the room? And this happened because I would start a job and frequently the person who hired me would retire. And so I'd be left to be like, well, when this person comes in and they say, what is it like to work with Hillary? I would wanna know what they would say. So I started asking some trusted colleagues and there's some patterns that you can find. And I had to manage that because they would say three things typically. She's smart, she gets stuff done, and either she's great to work with or she's difficult to work with. And I had to manage that and kind of own that part of my story of why I could be difficult to work with. Mm -hmm. One, operations can be stop signs. I get that. There's that part of the role. Two, I can ask a lot of questions. I can be very obstinate. I definitely have some of those rough edges. But I needed to manage that and get ahead of that so that my story could be told. And hopefully folks who supported me could help tell that story because I frequently was the only woman in the room or I was the only woman at the leadership table. And so I needed to protect myself and find those folks that could help understand my story and do some of that sponsorship. So know your reputation or know your brand, tell your story, and hopefully find those folks who can help you tell it
2: as well. I think that Sorry, LaShonda, were you going gonna... to? I mean, I, I love that. I'm, I think part of what you just described is important is to be self-aware and self-confident and understanding how you perceive yourself is not necessarily how you show up to others mm-hmm. and being reflective yes. and Accepting the feedback and your comment around being rough around the edges—that's um, opportunity to break through on things. So it's it's about reflection, but self awareness is really really important for all of us.
1: I think that's such an interesting topic. I think it's it's relevant no matter what career you know what role you're in. But I do think particularly with sales or even in an extended function it's all about partnership and collaboration and every, the fun thing about it is that every day is different. You really don't know. I love it when my my dad will ask me what I do and I'm like, I just can't explain it. You know, do you guys, <laughs> do anybody have that problem? Raise your hand and try to explain. I'm like, go to salesforce.com. I help people use that. You know, it's hard to explain, but I think being aware of intent versus impact is something I think yeah. we talk a lot about early in your career when you're getting to know or you're starting a new job is just, Understanding the intent is often 95% of the time really well intended, but you're yeah. different, and um, and that can have a bearing. It's great advice. Okay, Lashonda. Yes. So I'm going to talk to you about pressure because it's not all fun and games. It's not always about helping people and it goes smoothly. It's difficult. So how do you think about, um, first of all, the pressures, right? The pressures that change day to day, week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. How have you managed that? And what advice would you give to people thinking about a role in sales vis-a-vis, you know, what they're going to experience and the pressure and demands?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say the pressure exists in any, any job, any role we have today. Um, If you're a nurse, I can't imagine the pressure or a physician trying to save someone's life. So I think pressure is relative. Um, and when you sign up to go into a role like sales, you're signing up for an opportunity to help. We talked about helping others be successful, but there are moments where we plan for the most perfect sales process. And no matter what you do, something happens through no fault of your own. And so one, I think we have to give ourselves space and grace to acknowledge that we cannot perfect everything. No matter how hard we try, no matter how great we are, there is always something else out of our control. And I think. My um, advice would be is understanding to con- the ability to control what you can. The things you have the most control of, you should be aware of that and be able to action. The things you don't, you kind of have to let it go. And some of it is just being in the right time in the right place or having the right relationships. And so understanding that. The second thing I would say is in terms of advice is the sky is not going to fall. We put so much pressure on ourselves that if this deal doesn't happen or that relationship you know, sort of goes sideways, my career's over, it's not. You know I mean? How many deals you lose, how many deals you win, at the end of the day, no one's really counting. What, what counts is your ability to have an impact on others' lives and in sales, that's helping our customers in my world, helping people save lives. That is the most gratitude thing I can do is if I can help my customers in this industry do a better job of understanding their patients, creating better medicine and outcome. That's the thing that impacts me. Is there pressure? Absolutely every day. But I can't sort of... ground myself in the things I can't control. I can ground my things in the thing I have control over. And I can ground myself in the fact that this too shall pass. Because as soon as you get that perfect deal, you actually got to go deliver it in our world in consumption. You actually got to go do it. And when
1: it
4: seems too perfect, (laughs) you know it. If it's it's, it's it's too quiet. quiet. waiting
2: for somebody to go That's right. right? So if it's too quiet, that's when you should be concerned. If it's noisy, you got action in the system. That's a great thing. But pressure is constant. But we don't control the things we don't. The things we do, we absolutely have an opportunity to make a difference in our lives and likely in the of so many other people. I think
1: that's so well said. I, did you want to add something
4: to that? No, I was just laughing. I, I thought it was hilarious what you said. It's just so true because at the end of the day, you still got to then deliver it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you it's to deliver it. it yeah. it's, it's true. Yeah. I think, and I think the
1: question is meant to elicit, you know, I, people have said to me, I'm sure they've said to each of you oh, I don't want to be in sales. I can't deal with the pressure or I've got too many things going on. And I think the reality is to remember, first of all, I think pressure is a privilege. It means that you're working in a field that's relevant. You're doing something that's important, right? No matter what you do. I always, when I have a bad day, I'll say to myself, like, maybe I should just do the other thing. Whatever the other thing is, I'm going to take as seriously as the job I take right now, really. And so it's not, I don't think it's any more, I don't think it's any more pressure inducing, in sales, but I think it has a reputation as such. And Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's really no different than any other job in some ways, Mm -hmm. the metrics are clear, right? The metrics are clear, are clear of what you need to do. And, um, I think I appreciate that. Okay, Kim, I'm going to come back to you. Okay. So this is kind of an interesting question because I think it's not necessarily specific to women in sales, but I'm going to ask it that way. I think we, we talked about pressure quotas, there's travel, there's other things we're going to get into about a role in sales as female and, the, and females and the unique challenges. What are some of the obstacles or an obstacle that maybe you encountered in your career being a female in sales or in in a distribution function? And how did you overcome that? And what did you learn?
4: Yeah. So great question. Um, I've been in sales for now 28 years. And um, I'm remembering when I was a first line manager many, many blue moons ago. I'm not going to date myself here. (laughs) But it was a while ago. And my first job, um, I managed 13 white males. My first manager. You're kidding. Job. You can't make it up. <laughs> first and, of all,
1: that's too many people to
4: manage at yeah, once. Yeah, I yeah. mean, uh, that's a different topic. That's a different topic. That's Not a different topic. I'm in span of control here. <laughs> yeah. But um, 13 white males, and I actually, I mean, now that we're more aware and we know terms, right? Um, now I know what I had. I ended up with what I call imposter syndrome, right? We mm-hmm. go through this where you're thinking all of a sudden that you can't do the job. I mean, it's so important to have representation to see yourself and others and in management positions. But when you can't see yourself and you have no one else to look at and you're getting, you know, hard questions thrown at you. Remember, I'm a new manager yeah. and I'm managing legacy senior men.
1: That's so hard. And some of the questions
4: I didn't have so the answers hard. for. So I literally had to work with myself. Some of this is mental. It's, mm-hmm. it's in your head. But I had to work with myself. I had to work with my mentors and my coaches. I can't tell you how valuable— These people have been in my career Um, because literally at some point I was doubting that I needed to, that I, I, that I deserved to be here, that I could do the job. Right. Um, I, I went to, I did a lot of self-help. So that's what one, one thing that I read a lot of books. I had a lot of conversations with mentors and and coaches. Um, It got to a point where I had letters of affirmation all over my wall. I woke up. (laughs) You're great. You're cute. You're pretty. I mean, you know, whatever it took. It was on the mirrors, it was on the back of the closets. Yeah. Whatever it took to just keep talking to myself. And here's what's really important you also have to get some success and experience Mm -hmm. under your belt. Once I got a couple of wins and some success, I was unstoppable. You don't even understand this. I sat at the table different. You know, I kind of set up a little bit. I I was feeling myself. You know, I walked in the room with confidence because I knew I could. Mm -hmm. But there was a moment that I doubted myself. So Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that I did. So please elicit help from coaches, mentors. Go to the sessions like these because they can be so helpful. And I'll tell you another story. Um, But anyway, that was one of the things that I think really, um, really charged me in the very beginning. And then as I matured in sales and got into different different roles um and i'm going to be very transparent here one of the things that i think i um i hit a wall because i felt overwhelmed i was overwhelmed myself so in the black culture um, most of us are taught to, you know, run faster, be smarter, you know, go harder um, because we start off not from the same vantage point. So you're working really, really hard. And I felt like I was overcompensating for everything. I mean, I was picking up slack for my pe- I was doing everything I could to be number one. And I felt like I was burning myself out. Mm-hmm. Guess what? I went to a lunch. It was just like this. It was like a women's summit. Chairs, the whole nine. And it was a lady that was talking about calendaring and, and how to not get overwhelmed and, you know, what do you need to do? And she was a very successful sales executive. And she said, look, at the end of the day, you have to finally realize that you can't keep up Our day, you can't keep up. You cannot get everything done that you have to get in one calendar day, in in one day. You can't. Mm -hmm. So you know what you do? You do your best. And if you have 20 things on that list and you get five done, that is a great day. And you count it good. Once I heard that, it just, it spoke volumes to my soul. The next day I woke up, I checked my list. I was able to close my, you know, my laptop and, and it was actually a desktop at the time, um, <laughs> but walk away. <laughs> I didn't sleep with my pager. I'm dating myself. <laughs> my pager yeah. wasn't under my yeah. pillow. You I no, went, right I went to you. S- I had a pager. Yes, yes right there But I again. went to sleep, and I let it go, and I realized that I can't do everything and be everybody, but I'm going to be the best Kim I could. Mm-hmm. So that was
2: another lesson for me. I think that is so important, what you're saying. Yeah. It. I heard something I yeah. I, I love that, that. That is huge, Kim, because... We all, no matter what role, what title, what opportunity you get there's always a bit of self-doubt and you have to if you don't believe most people won't so you have to believe in self yeah. and the fact that you recognize that again going back to just being self-aware, self-aware. Yeah. reflecting and being in the moment and recognizing your value proposition no one else has what you have all of us are equally individually have a differentiated value proposition yeah. no one can do what you do no one can do what you do and we have to be proud of that and understand that and not drive ourselves to these false realities what? of yeah. overwhelming ourselves so yeah. well said and And thank you for sharing this. So well said.
1: I I want to talk about just, I'm going totally, I know I'm supposed to ask another question, but just give me a minute, whatever. I'll keep an eye on the time. Um, I want to talk about imposter syndrome for a minute, because I think women struggle Mm -hmm. with that quite a bit. I don't, I'm sure men do too, but I do, and it doesn't go away, but Mm -hmm. I had this really great conversation with an executive coach once, and it just reminded me to share this. She said to, cause I was mad that I was feeling, I thought, you know, I'm a certain age. Like, why should I doubt myself? Like, don't I have it all figured out at mm-hmm. this point in time? Well, the reality is you never do. If you're always, yeah. you're always challenging yourself. You're always learning. You're always trying to be your best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. You're always going to feel a little bit about that. But I came to her and I was like, I'm so sick of this. I should be over this. I'm, you know, <laughs> such and such age. And she said, she walked me through this process and she said, well, what happens when you feel that way? And I was like, well, I work hard. I get focused. I, you know, do the things and she's like, and then what happens? And I'm like, well, I usually crush it. She's like, so your imposter syndrome is actually your friend. As long as you don't take it too far, yeah. that little bit, that little yeah. bit of that edge mm-hmm. is how you show up because you always give mm-hmm. the best of yourself, You're self-motivate, you know, it's, so I think it's also, you have this angst inside yourself. Mm-hmm. I actually struggled with it of like, well, I shouldn't be in, I shouldn't feel like I'm not, you know, worthy or whatever, you know, resisting it actually makes it even stronger. So just sort of embracing it and remembering that. And I thought it was a really good lesson. So I thought I would pass it on to all of you for whatever it's worth. Next time you feel that way, check in with yourself. And then you yeah. think, well, what am I doing about it? Am I having healthy thoughts about it? Am I bringing my best self? Am I not overworking myself, but doing the best I can? And and use it as your energy too. Absolutely. So along with the motivating science. Okay. <laughs> so since... LaShonda has it all, and she's figured it all out. <laughs> she's figured it all out. That's my question. I actually have a two-part question, but I'm going to start yes. with we talk about having it all. And I think people often will look at somebody else mm-hmm. and say, well, it seems like they have it all. Mm-hmm. They have the family. They have mm-hmm. the things. What? Tell me a little bit about the idea of having it all mm-hmm. to you. And have you figured it out? How have you gotten comfortable?
2: Um, I don't have it all. Let me just <laughs> say that. Um, <laughs> What I do have is um, optimism, and I have hope, and I have balance. Um, The things, you talk about having all the things. The things cost, y'all. The things cost time. The things cost family. The things cost financially. Those Mm -hmm. things cost. So when you see a person, what often you don't see is, what we're all dealing with these emotions we're trying to balance and self-regulate because we've got these roles, these responsibilities. And so that's part of a, a thing that you have to balance as you go up or you expand your responsibility. So having it all, I think, is a fallacy. You can have it all, just not at the same time. I have three kids, um, two older daughters, one in medical school, one a junior in college, and I have a 16-year-old son. There is no way possible I could live the life I have now when my kids were younger. I would have had to trade off being the mother I had so wanted to be. I would have had to trade off being the wife I wanted to be. I would have to trade off being me. And so I'd say there's a notion of having it all. I think you have to find the balance at different points in your life, we may call them seasons. At different seasons in your life, those opportunities come where you can begin to grow, you can begin to develop, you can begin to acquire the things, whether it's the right job, the right title, the right compensation, the right experiences to get you to that place. But if you try to put the pressure on yourself to have it all, to have the right car, the right house, the right brands, the right, you're going to do what we just talked about. You're going to overwhelm yourself. And no one does. And if you talk to any successful leader, specifically a female, they will tell you. We are out of control at times. If you come to my house, thank God I have a cleaner. Who can, I can afford to have one. But my house was not the cleanest when my kids were youngest. My house was the hangout house. My kids, you know, I, I pressured them until I realized their life is theirs and mine is mine. And I have to balance what's most important to them and being a good mom. And so this idea of having it all in sales with the flexibility is, is helpful, but it's not real. I got to take my kids to lunch. I got to visit my kids for birthday parties and you know, t- different events. Those are opportunities. And I have an opportunity to, to p- play a part of my parents' life. But it comes at a cost because the time I spend with them means I'm not doing something else. Yeah. So I don't think it's, Denise, it's about having it all. I think it's having it all at different points different and points seasons in, in your life. Yeah. And different things matter most. Yeah. As you age, you get wisdom. And as your family you know, scenario changes, you decide what's most important. And those things will, will change. I'll say this last thing, and Kim and I have a similar background. When I started my career at IBM, I interned um, at IBM, and I started as a, as a sales professional. I wanted to be CEO. I thought, I'm going to bleed blue, and I'm never leaving, y'all. I thought that was going to be my future. till I realized, and I spoke with an executive, a female executive, she told me what her life was. She was on plane, trains, and automobiles. She never saw her kids. She was stressed out. She had eating issues. And I realized, is that what it takes? And the answer is no. But she shared, this is my life. So before you aspire to be that, educate yourself and make yourself aware of the trade-offs you're willing to make. And at different points, you may decide differently.
1: Yeah. And having it all too quickly sometimes ends up in a situation like that where you haven't been able to check in with yourself during the season of your life that you're at and what you need to prioritize, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I think that's really well said. You can have it all just maybe not all at once all the time. Right. That's right. And speaking of that, Hillary, I'm going to turn yes. to you and extend this conversation about you're a revenue leader. You've been wildly successful. You also have two boys. Sure. How old are they? Uh, eight and six. Yeah. Oh, ages. Baby. I have teenagers. Anyone have teenagers? <laughs> yeah. Anyway. <so. laughs> eight and six are great
3: age. ages. Eight and six are great ages.
1: So how have you, the, the, the other story I think that people talk about with women in sales is that you can't do it just to the point. Yeah, you, yeah. It's hard to yeah. do that as a parent. How have you navigated that? Being a parent and being in sales with some of the craziness yeah. that goes on? Uh,
3: not well. I wish someone would have told me about, um, that you can't have, you can't have it but all it wasn't but, your but different seasons <laughs> yes. for that piece. I think, I think that that's really great advice for me. Um, what I wish I would have done differently because I didn't have kids until I was 35 is I just outworked people. And that's, Mm -hmm. I I think frequently, yes, I'm smart and all those things, but like, Mm -hmm. I just worked really hard, 70, 80 hour weeks. And so I just did the work of two people and was recognized for that and and promoted. And then when I had kids, I realized I really needed to backpedal on that. And so I had to change my scope from 70 to 80 to 40 to 50 hours a week. And so my advice would be for folks who are thinking about a family, either if you, you know, are able to have kiddos yourself or adopt, or, you know, I also have a 20-year-old stepson. Um, you have to get really good at time, not just time management, which is, I think, par for the course, but your energy management. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is when you're at work, you can't think about all the things you're not doing at home. And when you're at home, not thinking about all the things that you're not doing at work. Um, there's not a balance. I've never been able to find a balance. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just being comfortable into what yeah. that piece is. And frankly, I wish I would have at 25 realized that you don't actually need to have kids or a family um, to stop working so much. And that I, I wish I would have yeah. given myself that Ooh, at 25 really good to travel way. and see my parents or my grandparents that's at the time. Point. And I just worked. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I waited. I was I was an older mom for sure. Um, but I wish I would have realized that sooner and started to kind of scope in what I needed to do because- you don't need to have kids to slow down. Um, You just, you can have your own life. And I think that that's, um, I wish I would have heard that too. Yeah, that's great
1: advice. I I remember that feeling like, wow, once you have children, you really, you have to figure out how to get more done and prioritize other people. And it is that journey in your life that you actually figure that out. And it feels pretty good. You don't always get it right, but it does feel good. No, <laughs> I don't, don't get it right. And you know, but I but I also think it forces you to grow as an individual. And it also makes space for other people. Mm-hmm too, yeah. you know, to rise, to help other people rise up and step in. And yeah.
3: it's, it's kind of fun to build other leaders. And you quickly realize all the women who came ahead of you that yeah. were doing what they did probably with way less resources oh. and support and just figure that about out. It. Couldn't and, talk about it. You know, I feel yeah. sometimes like a, you know, kind of a schmuck when I was in my twenties, not realizing that, that that's what those women were going through. It's yeah. hard.
1: Yeah. We've oh. made it, we're making it easier. It's not all the way easy, but I'm going to, Kim, I'm going to turn to you speaking yeah. about trying to make it better for the next generation. Every time we advance, we bring somebody with us. Um, So you are a member of IBM's Black Executive Council, which is focused on the retention and career development of minority and women professionals. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me a little bit about why this is important to you, what you've learned from from participating in that group?
4: First, I want Hillary to tell me why she keeps looking at me like she thinks I'm an older mom. (laughs) I don't accept that. No, 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 no. I'm just you said kidding. I had given kids, and I was like, well, I had them when I was 35. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over that. I'm so. Honestly, I will share this with you guys. My last baby graduates this, this weekend. Aww. Um, so it's so important to me. I, I have three kids. So I have my last one graduating. And uh, when Shonda called me, I, 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 I kind of paused and said, it's graduation week. You know how much a mom does for graduation week? A lot. And so at first, I was going to turn down this right, Um, this invitation, and the other side of me said, no, that's why you're gonna accept it. Because I'm accepting it for her. Because Mm -hmm. what we're talking about is gonna make her life better. And it's important for me to be here. So I just wanted to share Aww. that, you know, you, you st- I'm still going through what you go through, the cho- choices, which, should I be there? Should I, should I fly in? You know, all of that. So thank um, you for being here. Absolutely. Thank you absolutely. for coming here I'm doing that. I appreciate it. I appreciate the invitation. And, and kind of acting your values. of course. Oh, absolutely. Important. Absolutely. And yeah. hopefully she's watching me right now. <laughs> <laughs> so back to- uh why mom is awesome. <laughs> right. The- all why- Let's talk about Black Executive Council and why it's important. So, you know, fundamentally- I really do believe that for us that have now earned the right, that have a seat at the table, that we use the platform to voice for the underrepresented. That's why I do it. I, I do it because I know there are some sisters, some women, some women of color that they don't have a vote at the table. So it's really, really important for me to spend the time, the extra time, as if we have it, but to be on these committees of DEI and Black Executive Council. Um, I also think it's important. I love our mission career progression, women progression amplification of our skills so that the business understands who we are and that we have really good skills so that they can consider us for positions. So it's really an important piece of the work that has to be done. And no matter how many times we say we have enough on our plate, someone has to do the work. So I dedicate a lot of my time to these um, organizations because they're really, really important to me. Um, so that's pretty much, I mean, that's my answer. That's I, even, why I, I didn't even
1: need to ask you that question because we know why it's important. But the way that you just spoke about it to me yeah. is so inspiring. And showing up and continuing to show up and progressing careers is so important.
4: And lifting and climbing. Exactly. That's to, it's mm. important to, when you climb, yep. you lift. Yep. You lift someone yep. up. Because someone someone lifted me, by the way. You guys yeah. didn't ask me that question. Mm. But someone. Tell, there you go. Yes. Yeah, so Sometimes gave tell me. Us. Here we, we you go. It's we the rewind. kids show. Yeah, we <laughs> got time. You got time. But no, really, someone gave me a chance, and yeah. I'll never forget it. And I'll—he's he's my mentor today. It makes—he's retired, like forty-two years, um, but he's retired now. But I talk to him monthly after really? all these years mm-hmm. because, I'm, first of all, he's one of my really good friends. But he took a bet on me, guys. I just told you, I was—I was a black female, was very young in my career. I think I was pregnant. You know, I had all kind of things going on. <laughs> I didn't try. Anyone yet. Yeah, yeah. I exactly. I had a lot of things going on, but. <laughs> to take a chance on me to manage that group. And I told you it was all the males. 13 men he been around. trusted yeah. me and he knew that no one else would take a chance. So he put his, his, his exact words mm. were, I'm placing my bets on yeah. you. Wow. And you know what, when you have that support, mm. let's talk about support and that security and someone that has your back, you're going to work harder. Yeah. Am I not right? You're going to yep. work harder mm-hmm. for that person. Yep. So I knew at the end of the day, I wasn't going to let him down because he placed bets on me. So that's another reason why I do it.
1: Oh, I love that story. I love that story. All right. Leadership. So that was your first role. LaShonda, I'm going to ask you about leadership. So sometimes we find, so I, my experience is ultimately women will move into sales. And then when I want to talk to them about progressing in their career, moving into leadership, they'll usually say like, oh, leadership's a whole different thing. I don't know if I want to do that. So can you share a little bit about why you think that there is this perception that women are are not capable of leading, maybe not capable, but maybe aren't right for leadership in sales and what we need to do to kind of dispel that? What are your thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I think, you know, one, leadership as an action is not a title, Right, so in this room there are a number of leaders. So I think we need to first also get really clear on what leadership is and what it's not. So when it comes to the leadership roles in terms of a title into a sales organization, I think one, we need to really within ourselves understand The opportunities ahead of us are uh, just an infinite opportunity for us to change roles, transition into different types of um, um, skills that we have to move into different opportunities. So I think our opportunity as as a leader myself and for my organization, we need to really think about what is the future of what work really looks like. The roles we have today in the organization will not exist in the next two years. And we've seen this over the last couple of years with COVID. And I think our opportunity, Denise, is to challenge the system and so one of the things I like to sort of become in a meeting where we're talking about the same people over and over again is to be the agitator or the, the disruptor and ask, well, what about these individuals? All of you, and I talked about, have a differentiated value proposition. We all possess a set of skills that are valuable. How do we really nurture those skills and those things that you don't even know you have in yourself? Mm-hmm. How do we bring those to light? And I think sometimes we get very comfortable with what we know. And um, there's a, a leader in this company who said, our husband's an engineer, and he says, people only like what they know and they only know what they like. So you only like what you know, and you only know what you like. We're so contained in some, in some case with what the we brain's see. Almost w- it's wired in know a certain and way. Recognize and see it it, it and absolutely is. Yeah. And, and we are, because we're, we're very focused on action, but yeah. I think there's an opportunity as we think about succession planning, we think about yeah. role progression, we think about careers. We're having conversations with our people and our people are having conversations with us, thinking beyond just the title. Let's talk about the experiences. We call it sales, but at the end of the day, and some organizations call it customer success. It's not about sales, it's about helping our customers get yeah. the very best out, so of, their, out, out of their investment. So, so I think our opportunity, Denise, is to challenge the system. The opportunities for those in the room and online is to really self-reflect and figure out what are all the experiences you want, not just the role or the title, because the outcomes of what you deliver is really what we're going to be able to measure and where we're going to have success.
1: Yeah. And leadership love is that. really, yeah. leadership is not a title. It that's is about right. how you act and how you show up. And when you love to help people be successful and mm-hmm. the way that you show up, you're a leader. That's right. You're that's a right. leader. And I think that that's something that, um, goes unnoticed a lot of times Mm -hmm. when people are talking about titles and roles and things like that, so. And
2: can I add one more thing? Yes. So um, this is what I would ask all the ladies in the room and online. I was on a call, two things happened. I was on a call with a couple of young ladies and we were talking about a topic similar to this. And one of the young ladies um, said, I'm gonna take notes. And I said, you absolutely will not. And she said, oh, I don't mind. I said, I do. So as women, we're not the note takers. We're not the coffee getters. We're not the table fixers. Like we're not the party planners. We're leaders, just like everyone else in the room, and so I just would advise. And it was not because she saw less lesson herself, but she just thought, "Well, you're the senior leader, and I'm the less." And I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. So don't. There's a record button. We all have technology. There's a record button on Zoom and others. Use a record button. So don't that. volunteer. Sometimes we put ourselves back in that box. Yeah. Get out of the box. You're not. The, you're not gonna. Ha- you don't have to be the greatest party planner, the greatest lunch creator. Ask the guy next to you and say, hey, you, you okay. want to do lunch? Great. Order me something. Like, right? <laughs> I'm not doing <here> the order. <laughs> like, just say, hey, we all have, we all have a set of skills. You get it looks like you have your phone out. Why don't you do a dash or something it. to eat? Point what? being, don't put yourself back in the box. And we do that naturally yeah. because we are nurturers yeah. and we want to yeah. help. It, yeah. it, our job isn't to save everyone. Yeah. Save yourself first. Yep. There's been right. a recent article on that of just the
3: wasted time that women spend at work doing all of those things. Yeah. Like planning yeah. the party and going over here and doing yeah. that is just like... But it's already we're yeah. overworking and not yes. feeling good about yeah. it. Like, yeah, that's a, yep. that's have a great else point. To it.
1: Okay, one last question specifically for you, Hillary, and then I'll do one more um, for for all of us. So, let's talk about knowing your worth. We're all okay. aware of the gender pay gap, which is okay. ironic to me because women are high performers in sales. They are known to be higher or performers in sales, yet there's still a pay gap there. Can you talk to me a little bit about your maybe your perspective on that, but how you've navigated that?
3: Yes, I mean, the pay gap exists. I'm always surprised when I talk to some some women and they don't know that, and it's different um, based on the color of your skin. So for white women, I think we're rolling in at about 80 cents on the dollar for what that is. Um, similar to the radio station, I then worked at a, another one where there was forecasting that I had to do as remnant radio, like the price line of radio. And I was really good at it. And, you know, and I think as sometimes it happens, you know, at a happy hour, some of the guys started talking and they shared what they made in my the floor. I was like, wait, what? Like, I'm, I'm doing way better than you. This is, this That's isn't, this isn't right. cool. So I called my mom, like, luckily, luckily my, my, my mom is still alive. So I called her and I was like, hey, and I was kind of griping about it. And my mom is very, I'm from, you know, I said South Dakota, but I'm from North Dakota. My mom is like a classic, like Midwestern, don't rock the boat, don't make a noise kind of a mom. Mm. And so she goes, well, you just need to ask for a race, then Hillary. Basically shut up and go ask for a race. And I said, well, I can't do that. Mm. And she said, well, why not? And I said, well, what if they say no? And she goes, well, if they say no, then you know. Mm. And I was like well, mom, you, so you know, simple and obvious, so simple and <laughs> obvious, but it was one of those pieces where I'm like, okay, I'm going to need to ask for this and right. advocate for myself. And I right. put together my one pager of why I needed yeah. a raise all prepared. All I asked details, for $5,000 $5 on a $35,000 base. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, yeah, no problem. I was like, I should have asked for <laughs> <laughs> um, 10. <but laughs> that was That's a ton of money. So Love it. That was a ton of money in that piece. But what, <laughs> what I, what's happened since then is mm. I have asked for every raise that I've really ever had. Wow. So that has not changed. Mm -hmm. And every time I prepare and I look at data and I do the best that I can, and then I tell myself I need to act. And every time, like I am now, my Mm -hmm. voice shakes, my armpits sweat, I get very uncomfortable. (laughs) Um, But I do it because if I'm going to get on these types, like when I'm asked to do these Mm -hmm. types of things, I need to be able to share that. And if I'm hiding and not asking then that's not good. Mm. And so I just encourage everybody that you have to ask. I don't think a lot of managers sit around and go, how can I pay people more? Mm -mm. No, Um, right. They don't. They're measured on it. it, And so you just have to prepare and then act and then be ready for what the answer is going to be. And it might be no, and that's okay. Okay. And then you then then you know that you can take a different course of action if you choose. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yes. Your
1: mom's advice is perfect. And I've shared that before, but <laughs> right. it just it
3: keeps coming back yes. to me. of it really kind of got me out of that rut of like stop complaining, do yeah. something, and move forward. If you can't, you don't get
1: you what go. you don't ask for, right? Yes. Yeah. And ask for ten, not five. ask for a little bit more. Okay, I know we're over time, but I'm gonna ask. I, do I have time for one more question? Who's am I running the show here? Uh, we're
2: gonna go for it. Go, go for it, right, okay. Denise. You're, you're running yes. the show. I'm running the you're show. You're running the show. Go for it. The boss right now.
1: All right. So the last question is easy one, but it's just you know thinking about paying it forward, taking this and, and what, we, what we all know in our experiences. What advice would you give? And I'll start with you, Kim. What advice would you give employers as they're looking to hire more women into sales, progress more women in their career? What advice?
4: Um, I think number one, um, one of the things that um, companies could put in place and make sure they implement um, are programs that allow women to thrive um such a, allyship programs to help mm-hmm. men understand, mm-hmm. right? Um, programs, wellness programs, just like we talked about from um, a scheduling perspective, roles, responsibilities. Um, what does it take to be a woman, a strong woman leader? Mm-hmm. What do you need? Um, I think programs are essential. Um, mm-hmm. from a nurturing and support perspective for women. A cohort um, perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the other piece um, would be to have training. Training for leaders, training for men, DNI training, mm-hmm. inclusive training. P- Some men, women, people mm-hmm. are uncomfortable with certain conversations. Why not beat them to that punch, right? Mm-hmm. Give them an enablement, the tools that they can that they need so that they can implore, support, and nurture women. Yep. Provide the training. We have a great training program called Be Equal Training at IBM, where mm-hmm. it, it actually teaches you a lot of things about D&I, being an upstander versus a bystander, microaggressions. I can go on and on. But it's a great program to inform, to teach, um, <laughs> particularly men leaders, but people that are just uncomfortable having mm-hmm. certain conversations. Yeah. I think if we, if those two things would be a game changer in corporations for women.
3: Great advice and great programs too. Yeah. 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 Hillary. I'm a plus one on all those. Yeah. I'll yeah. give two. One, you need to support women in all kinds of sales. So make sure you're going mm-hmm. to your local, you know, locally owned um, women shops, buy online, do whatever mm-hmm. you need to do there. Yeah. The second would be similar to training. I got a call from a recruiter. I was like, yeah, sure. Let's, let's see what this is about. He said, oh, it's great. We got Jim from this mm-hmm. company for 10 years. He hired Jerry. Jerry brought in John. <laughs> John brought in James and James brought in Jeff. And I said, wow, five guys that have all worked together for 10 years. That's great. (laughs) Not realizing he's describing the total bro culture that we all, you know, love. And he goes, well, I'm not calling you just because you're a woman. And I said, (laughs) no, I thought you were calling me because I'm qualified, if not overqualified for this role. So (laughs) there, there were ads, you know, there, there we are. And I think it, it it extends into that though, of you also have to know how you're representing your company on the front lines and how that's being shared. I appreciate that Jim, Jeff, and I'm exaggerating on their names, but, Mm -hmm. um, It doesn't really make it feel like a great place to work or to join. Um, If one, everybody knows each other and they all look the same. When you pull up their LinkedIn profile, you can only imagine the strategic navigation you would have to do to have a seat at that table and Mm -hmm. any influence. So I think there's also those kinds of smaller things of just knowing how you are representing your company externally and to women. If you do want to bring them in, even if you are the token woman, great, at least know how to represent Mm -hmm. that and own that. Um, and be aware of those pieces. Yeah. And hold a
1: mirror up. I think that's yeah. a really, it's just, just sort of a shocking conversation. I'm sure that person who called
3: wasn't even thinking, thinking. about what, not even, I mean, it seems hard to believe, <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> and my midwestern, you don't on, on. I, I don't agree. want to we rock it. It. That's right. That's yeah. right. Right. And it's yeah. hard to say something because you're like, do yeah. I want to be the person who speaks up? And then you get a reputation yeah. and you do all of that. Yeah. And I just was like, well, that's a lot of men.
2: Yeah. yeah. All working together. Yeah, <laughs> they all look alike. That all look alike. They all look alike. That all look alike. LaShonda, what's your advice? Um, all plus ones i'd say there are three things one what i'd ask your company show me your receipts show me your data mm-hmm. yeah yep so everybody can yeah. talk about it but you need to be about it and yeah. the data comes from being the being about it part the second thing is i think we need to start earlier in, in our the careers of young women we need to do a lot more especially in the early education years formative years high school college be much more intentional and and show people these faces, your faces, your experiences, because people do need mm-hmm. to see people like them to see what's really possible. Um, and the third thing is when you put women in any management leadership position, you need to put your arms around them. Yeah. You really need to put the right program support, the advocates, the allies, the um, the mentors, the sponsor, whatever you want to call it, there needs to be much more programmatic ways to help navigate the conversations that you probably wouldn't be familiar with because they all came from the same place. How do you how do you break into that? How do you how do you engage in a conversation and making it much more adaptable for those who are entering the workforce yeah. who may have been from non-traditional roles? Yeah. That is also important. There's so many women who took the time to raise their kids, took time off to truly be with their yeah. children, and yeah. they are ready and they are capable. We need to find a way to bring them back in a place where they can have impact contributions and get back to doing things that they love because they have skills that we need.
1: Yeah. It's a different type of onboarding though, yeah, as you absolutely. said. Re-entering. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm way over my time. So thank you for letting me go a couple of minutes, but I wanted to get that last piece of yes. advice. So first of all, all ladies, I want to thank you. Thank you, thank Kim, you. so much. You need to get back to that graduation. Hillary, yes. thank you. LaShonda, thank you I know you're on your way to you. New York. You flew yes. out here for this. So thank yes, you. Absolutely. Um, that's a wrap for thank us. You. Thank, thank, right. you. thank you. All right. <laughs> thank you.
0: That was Denise Dresser, EVP and CRO, comms, media, and tech at Salesforce. Kim Smith, VP, U.S. West Region Tech Sales at IBM. Hilary Headley, Head of Global Sales and Operations and Enablement at Zoom. And LaShonda Anderson-Williams, EVP and CRO for Healthcare and Life Sciences at Salesforce. This was recorded at Salesforce's annual Gender Equality Summit that seeks to elevate and inspire the next generation of women leaders and male allies. For more resources on gender equality, go to the Resource Center on salesforce.com. And be sure to tune in next week, where we have another great conversation from the summit with Michelle Zonner, the New York Times best-selling author of Crying in H Mart and Grammy-nominated singer of pop band Japanese Breakfast. Thanks for listening today. I'm Michael Revo from Salesforce Studios.